0: Welcome to Antioch Raleigh's weekly online sermon. We hope that you are encouraged by this word. For more information on Antioch Raleigh or access to our other online sermons, visit us at antiochraleigh.com. Hi. So I I, want to, first off, golly, so awesome to be here. Uh, I love coming to Antioch-Raleigh. It is, um, it is like a, a home to me, and, and just the affection that I both have for you and feel from you is wonderful, so it's just great. Um, before we start, I just want to let you know, uh, Steve and I have been dialoguing, and, and I travel a lot, and I speak at a lot of different churches, and I do a lot of things like this. It is a joy. I love it. This weekend is, and I believe that this is true, the most prophetically directed weekend I've ever had where the Lord just keeps on speaking things. There have been people from all over the country who have been praying for this weekend and are sending words that are shaping what he's doing. The Lord has been speaking basically to Steve and I at the same time, and as we talk back and forth, we're like, oh my gosh, the Lord is saying something. So I have scrapped more notes in the last 24 hours than I have in a good old long time. But I want us to set the stage of anticipation. I literally have no idea what's coming next. I'm going to be faithful to say what I believe he's asked me to say this morning, but he is also going to be speaking to you. So if we could just take a second and ask the Lord for permission to let our emotions and our thoughts bow the knee to the reality that his presence is in this room. So that as he is moving, our hearts are ready to connect with whatever he's doing. So Father, we just come before you and we acknowledge the promise that you are with us. We're not asking you to come, we're asking that you would open our eyes to see that you've already been here. You were here and you were always here. And every emotion of the day, of the week, of the month, of the year, Father, we willingly lay it down. And every thought that would distract or draw us away, we lay it down and we connect with you. Come and minister to us powerfully in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, the first thing, and so this is Joel said something up here that when he said it, it struck me. And he said, my weakness is made perfect in his strength. Now, the actual scripture says, my, his strength is made perfect in my weakness, but oh my gosh, is it a reciprocal thing. Do you know that your weakness is a required part of the equation of God's strength being made perfect. Do you know why that is? Because any place that you assert strength, you're taking it from him. So his strength never lacks, but when we try to insert our strength to enhance the thing, we actually detract from it. And so having our weakness made perfect that'll preach. As a matter of fact, it will preach. Joel is a good word, dude. I I was so encouraged by that. Oh my gosh. Maybe y'all aren't as encouraged as me. He will lead you on the path of recognizing that weakness is the right posture, not strength. Second thing, I feel like the Lord. So I've got some stuff that I just some prophetic stuff that I asked the Lord for this morning. How many of you in this room have not done the discipleship school? Raise your hand high. It's okay. There's no judgment here. Here's my challenge to you. I want to ask that you would pray and ask the Lord if this is the season for you to do the discipleship school. No one asked me to do this. I want to be super clear. No one said, please do a plug for ADS. Nobody did that. But as I was praying this morning, the Lord said, "I I need to train my people. I need to get my people ready for war. And for some of you, that place of training will be the discipleship school. So I'm just asking that each of you would take on the responsibility of just asking. And if the Lord says not now or not ever, amen. This isn't a push, but let's at least ask the question. Amen? Amen. Are you guys good with that? Yes. Yes. And if you didn't say any words, either say yes or no, even if it's under your breath. It's good. Okay. And then this is a word for the church. Saw a picture of the Lord Jesus, and he was walking through... The sanctuary and the different rooms of the church, and he was painting this mural. And his eyes were full of joy and light and fire, and clearly he was on mission. He was bringing something fresh and new to this body. And I saw different members of the congregation following him around, and some were staring into his eyes. And they were so enamored with him and so drawn to him. And there were others who were trying to interpret what he was doing. And I felt like the Lord said, That the mural in progress that Jesus is painting will make little sense to you as it's in process. And if you try to force your understanding to be a part of what he's doing, and you miss the fact that he's present, you're going to miss everything. He is doing something, make no mistake. And not just in Antioch, Raleigh, not just in the Antioch movement, not in just this nation, but in the nations of the world and around the earth. He is moving in a coordinated, unprecedented, and at least my lifetime way. And it has individual expression and it has global expression. But one of the things that he's been speaking to me over the last couple of days uh, this is just, like I said, it's just been a crazy prophetic whirlwind the last couple of days. He's talked about this idea of patience. And I'm not a patient human by nature. I am spastic and I run around a lot and I love jumping from thing to thing. I don't like finishing things that much, okay? But the Lord said, patience is being in love. And I said, okay, help me understand that. He said, patience puts priority on who you're with over where you're going. And I believe this picture of the mural that he's painting here is an invitation to be in love that to be a part of what he's doing simply because it is him who is doing it and not worry about where he's taking you. Now, rest assured, the outcome is going to be awesome, but not as awesome as walking with him to it. Amen? Okay. Hallelujah. Lord Jesus, do what you will do. So my family and I spent uh, eight years in the Middle East and During the time we were there in the last couple of years, we had an incredible privilege to see a move of God that was just amazing. I I can't even put words to it. And something very interesting happened in the course of that time. The Middle East cultural rules are very strict and stringent. Right, There are rules on how men engage with women. There are rules on how meetings happen. There are rules on how culturally things are done between the old and the young. There's just a lot of very established cultural norms. But do you know what happened when God came? All the cultural norms were turned on their head. And there became established kingdom norms in that place. And to us, it was really weird and kind of scary, to be honest. Because some of the things these young believers were doing were so outside the bounds of the culture, we were afraid it was going to put them in danger. So we did what you should do if you have no idea what to do, and that's ask for help. So we called a guy who was an expert in missiology at the time, and and we said, hey, buddy, this is what's going on. And as we're talking, he just kind of starts to laugh. I don't know about you, but when I'm sharing the deepest painful issues of my heart in the moment, and the person I'm talking to begins to slightly giggle. It always makes me feel a bit insecure. And so I'm sitting there going, oh, Lord. And then he said, this is actually, of all the things you've told me, this is the most affirming thing that the kingdom of God is coming. He said, because we carry in our mind that the church is to be a cultural Thing with a kingdom flavor. And he said, but God would say that it is to be a kingdom thing with a cultural flavor. And so, it, when God brings a place into revival, one of the first things He does is purge the unhealthy cultural influence from the church. And I believe that we are in a season where he has begun doing that. I don't know about here. I go to Antioch, Waco. In the three years from the COVID beginning scare, I guess it's been two and a half, however long it's been, 50% of our church left. was startling now some of those people left because Jesus called them to other things amen some of those people left because of other things that were going on and i am not this is not the issue of me placing judgment on anybody for what they're doing but do you know what has started to happen in the aftermath the purity of the kingdom culture that he called us to in the beginning is starting to return as we began to recognize okay lord it looks like we have been people of distraction. We have been people who have looked to the culture. We've become a political people. We've become a social justice people. We've become a fill-in-the-blank people. And none of those things in and of themselves are, are evil or bad or wrong. It's when they supplant the one who belongs on the throne that things start to go wonky. And the Lord Jesus... Is taking his throne. He's making no uncertain terms. It's not an option anymore for us as believers to have a multi seated throne in our hearts. He's purifying us, he's calling us back to holiness and he's calling us back to first love. And this is something that he's done historically throughout the story of Israel as well as the story of the church over the last several thousand years. And today, we're going to spend a little bit of time in Joshua chapter 24. And let me set up what's happened as the people of Israel arrived to Joshua 24. To them, it wasn't that, but... For us, it's Joshua 24. Caleb and Joshua were sent into the promised land, and of all Israel, were the only two who landed on God's promise versus the fear of circumstance. So the Lord does a work, puts Joshua in charge of everything, and through Joshua's leadership, he brings the people of Israel into the promise that he has given them. Right? They go and they start conquering the kings of Canaan and then it is time for them to separate and settle into the different areas of the promised land that God had offered to them, had promised them. And it's interesting that the title of this chapter is The Covenant Renewed. You know, we often think about covenant, at least I do, as something that is established. Why would we need to renew a covenant has something changed? Isn't God faithful? Does there need to be a new covenant? And the reality is is no, nothing's changed except for our faithfulness to what he has promised. His faithfulness remains the same. I have never known him to not do exactly what he says. I have known me to not do what I'm supposed to do lots of times over the course of my life. I don't know about you guys. And so when he comes and offers to renew a covenant with us, what he's saying is, please experience my mercy. Though I could judge you for your lack of faithfulness and obedience to what I've promised you, instead, I'm offering a renewal of the covenant As we're talking today, I don't want you to miss his mercy and his goodness. He is so loving and kind and merciful. So much more than we are. How do we tend to react when someone breaks a promise to us? It isn't generally with, that is totally okay, let's reestablish the promise and go again. We might have enough inside to do that once, but would we do it 20 times? 70 times seven? But that is his goodness and love and affection and care towards us. And so God recognizes and speaks through Joshua that as these tribes that have been brought together in common purpose for the removal of the enemies of the promised land, they're now going to be sent out to live out these values that they've established on their own. And so it is time to reestablish the covenant. And he reminds them that you are called to be set apart. He reminds them that the purpose of why the enemies in the land had to be removed is because they served foreign gods and idols, and they did not walk in the fear of the Lord. And if you don't walk in the fear of the Lord, then you will suffer the same fate as they. And so we have this very famous scripture out of Joshua 24 that everybody knows. And here we go. Starting with 24, verse 14, it says, now fear, this is, this is uh, Joshua speaking to the people. He says, now fear the Lord, and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Do you notice here that Joshua left no room in the middle? He said, either serve the gods that are not the Lord or serve the Lord, and in the middle is a chasm in which you cannot stand. And brothers and sisters, I know that's super baptist sorry, I'm Baptist background, but y'all hang with me. Brothers and sisters, can I tell you that the Western church has attempted to build bridges to allow us to stand in the middle of cultural gods and the Lord of heaven? And we contend to remain there and stand there. We have our pet things that we do not allow to come under the lordship of Jesus. And those days are over. The Holy Spirit is severing the ropes of those bridges. And he is saying, who will you serve? Will you serve the gods of America? Will you serve the things that are enemies to my gospel, or will you serve me? And the space between the two, there is no place to stand in the middle. I don't know if you've recognized this, but the culture has grown more and more hostile towards Christianity. Have you seen this? Yep. That's not going to change. And so what is the great temptation of the church going to be in these coming days? compromise for acceptance. We'll cloak it in religious language. If I want to be relevant to people, I have to be where they are. I have to do what they do, or I'm not relevant, or you'll hear this awful thing that someone came up a long time ago. You'll be so heavenly minded that you'll be no earthly good. Anybody ever heard this expression before? I'm so glad the rest of you haven't. It's a garbage expression. I grew up with it. But what does the scripture say? Set your mind on things above and not on things below. Whatever is lovely, pure, praiseworthy, think on these things. Remember that there is another kingdom. All this to say, cultural Christianity is dying a very quick death right now. Amen. And that's a wonderful thing. But understand with it that the Lord is no longer allowing us to straddle. For a season, he has been patient with us. But the promise he gave to the Laodiceans is being given to us. And the promise to the Laodiceans, I don't know if you're familiar with this. He said, I have this against you. You are neither hot nor cold. But because you are lukewarm, I will spew you from my mouth. I will not tolerate lukewarmness anymore. So you must either choose, will you be cold? And will you follow the gods of the land? Will you chase after idols and distraction and selfish ambition? Or will you serve the Lord? For me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And Joshua wasn't content, interestingly enough, with just the challenge. And this is another area where we in the Western church at times struggle a little bit. We're really good at giving the challenge and really terrible at enforcing it. How many yeses, how, okay, how many times, just, I want some people to toss out numbers, because this is going to be kind of fun. How many times have you been challenged to do something, and they said, raise your hand if you're going to do it, and you raise your hand, you never did it, and no one ever mentioned it again? <laughs> I, I'm in the hundreds, for sure, over the course of my life. Where the word of the Lord came, we issued the challenge to obey, but we did not build an accountability to enforce. And I'm not talking about enforce from the perspective of roping someone in who doesn't want to be there. I'm talking about God is calling us to go here, and so we must intentionally build the road to allow us to get there. But Joshua didn't allow this. And he he wanted to make sure that this challenge that he gave them in verses 14 and 15 was not a challenge of the day. It wasn't just a circumstantial challenge that that coincided with the time where the tribes who had been fighting together were now going to separate into their different lands. He wanted to make sure that there was something lasting in the covenant that they were making together and with God. And so starting in verse 23, this is what he says. And so he goes through this process where he challenges them. Yeah, okay, Steve, here we go. He asks them the question, will you serve the Lord? And they answer, we too will serve the Lord because he is our God. In verse 19, Joshua looks at the people and says, you are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. And he will not forgive your rebellion and your sins if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods. He will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. Joshua looks at people who he recognizes, I believe, are responding in the emotion of the moment And he wants to bring it into reality. If you think this is just a nodding of the head that will bring about a change in your life. And the fear of the Lord that he talked about in verse 14 is not present in you. You will be unable to serve the Lord. And can I tell you the same is true for us today. When we make those emotional statements, yes, Lord, I will follow you to the ends of the earth. I will do whatever you say, but we don't walk in the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord means that because he is God, when he speaks, I am bound by that because he is the Lord. So often we become attuned with Jesus as the lamb of God the one who was slain, the one who brings comfort, the one who is a shepherd, and he is all of those things. But he is also revelation one. Jesus, whose eyes burn like fire and whose hair is white as wool and feet like burnished bronze, he is the one whose very closest friend on the earth saw one time and he fell at his feet as though dead. That is also Jesus all the time. And we cannot just be a church who becomes familiar with him as lamb, the one who meets the needs that we feel in our heart. He must also be lion, the one who leads his people into battle, the one whose word defines our lives. Why? Because he purchased us. He purchased us. Do you not know that if he doesn't go to the cross, you go to hell? And that's true of everybody in this room. But our reconciliation to the Father came because with the blood of Jesus, he purchased men for God. He bought us. And in his word, he says, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your lives. And as he is drawing his church, this church, our movement, and the big C church around the earth into this season of unprecedented move. He is moving in ways that are just mind-boggling. You get to be a part if he is the Lord. And you only get to be a witness if he's not. So it comes time for accountability. So you say you want to follow the Lord, Joshua says. Okay. Let's shake on it, basically, is what he says. Just a little stronger than that. So in verse 23, after he has this dialogue back and forth with the people where he identifies their lack of ability on their own to serve the Lord, he calls them in to the renewal of the covenant. Starting in verse 23, he says, Now then, said Joshua, throw away your foreign gods. You said you were going to do it. Now let's actually do it right here together in front of everybody. Throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, We will serve the Lord our God and obey him. And on that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people. And there at Shechem, he drew up for them decrees and laws. And Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. And then he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak near the holy place of the Lord. So he takes this big stone And in this place where they came into agreement with this new covenant of the Lord, he places this stone. And he says, see! And there's an exclamation point here. He says, see! He said to all the people, this stone will be a witness against us. It has heard all the words the Lord has said to us. And it will be a witness against you if you are untrue to your God. The Lord is purifying his church. He's purifying his bride. We sang about that this morning, right? Talking about the marriage feast of the lamb is coming. We talked about this last night, but not everybody was here last night. The marriage feast of the lamb only comes when the bride is purified, when the bride is made ready, when the bride is complete. And so our role and responsibility under the lordship of Jesus is to help make his bride complete. And Jesus has turned his attention towards his bride in this hour. Not that he ever wasn't enamored with her. But for those of you who have been engaged, you feel differently when you're six months out from the wedding than when you're two weeks out from the wedding. For those of you who have not been engaged, just trust me, you feel different. (laughs) Because the imminent coming of the union causes an anticipation to grow and Jesus' heart is starting to beat faster for his bride. So as he is looking at you, Antioch Raleigh, and as he is looking at us, the Antioch movement of churches, and as he is looking at the global church around the earth, he is saying, choose this day who you will serve. It does you no good To sit in a pew and posture. And understand, there is nothing harsh in in his tone. If I'm coming across harsh, that is me, not him. So please forgive that if you're feeling anything that's strong or weighty. There's weight to it, but any unnecessary strength is me. Because he is merciful and kind. Though he be lion, he is still lamb. And so if you feel like, man, I am broken. There is no way that I can say, yes, I am so trapped. I am tied up in a corner way over here on this side of things. And he's saying, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. He's saying, come to me and you will find forgiveness for your sins. I will make you holy. I will set you free. So it doesn't matter what your condition is. This is a choice of the will, not an assessment of your life. Do you understand what I mean by this? At his invitation, he's not saying, now you do an assessment of whether or not you are worthy to receive this gift that you could never afford. He's like, no, the gift is here. Come as you are. Come If you are living on this side, if you have thrown your lot in with the gods of the world, all you have to do is say, Lord Jesus, I choose you, and he will come. He will bring you in. He will heal you. He will walk with you, and he will integrate you into his plans and purposes on the earth, and you will find yourself as we step into this revival that is coming. And make no mistake, it is coming What is happening around the world is just so mind-blowing. I know you're like, well, I wish you could tell us, but seven minutes, right? So just trust me. No, I won't. Trust me when I tell you that he is moving in ways that are unprecedented. There is not a people group on the earth that he is not moving among. As of right now, through cooperation through different missions organizations and churches and different different people every unreached and unengaged people group on the planet will have a biblical engage will have a missional engagement and the bible in their language by 2035 it is mind blowing that Matthew 24:14 And this gospel shall be preached to all the world as a witness and then the end shall come. For the first time since the day Jesus was crucified, the church has actually stepped up and started to engage what he asked them to engage. And if there has ever been a time to choose to serve the Lord as a believer, if you've ever wondered, is he really that good? If you've ever wondered, does he still really move today? If you've ever wondered, does he have a plan and purpose for my life? The answer is a resounding yes and choose him. Stop making him prove himself to you. He's already done so. Now choose and give him the whole of your life. Stop letting your life be defined by half-heartedness. Let your life be wholehearted towards him and watch what he will do. I dare you, if that makes you move in one direction, I, great, I double-dog dare you. But I'm telling you right now, what is happening already and getting ready to happen, you as a believer, you want to be in the middle of this. You want to be running your race along with the other faithful men and women around the globe who are running their race to be a part in seeing his kingdom come to earth. Being a witness is a bummer. Have you ever made a decision not to go somewhere with friends and then you see what a great time they're having? You're like, I am such an idiot. Right? It's like literal FOMO defined, right? Social media fills this awful need in our life with a bullet, right? Don't be that. Choose this day whom you will serve. Be wholehearted in your pursuit. That doesn't mean perfect. It just means all of you. Can I just tell you, I limp around the throne room a lot. I don't come in there all studly and, God, what's up? I come in there and I'm usually limping and broken and wounded and in need of forgiveness and help and assurance. And he's like, amen. Because his word says that we are to approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may find help in our time of need. Isn't it interesting that to Jesus, wholeheartedness is coming before him with boldness, which to me means looking the king in the eyes. Not when I have everything together and have a positive report, but no, when I'm broken and wounded and limping and am in need. He specifically says, when you're in need, come, look in my eyes, you will find help. So unto what? Are we fully in? And if we are, unto what? Unto his purpose in the nation, the nations of the earth. That's unto what? Sometimes we make church so complicated. Jesus didn't. Jesus is super clear about what he cares about. His last words to his disciples were, go and make disciples of all nations. And the prerequisite for his return is after all the nations have heard. We have our little addendums that we like to throw in there, our pet issues that we try to make bigger than that. But the reality is Jesus' heart beats for his bride because he loves her. And he is about nothing more than the nations of the earth. Now let me be clear about something because sometimes this gets confused in people's hearts and minds. That doesn't mean that I believe that every person in this room is supposed to get on a plane and move to a nation. Some of you are. And some of you know who you are. But understand this it's an absolutely imperative kingdom truth that obedience is what moves the kingdom forward, not activity. Which means your obedience and faithfulness to your local church in keeping with what God has called you to do or in your place of business or as a mother or whatever it is, your obedience there that allows you to live a supernatural life in the place that he has called you will move the gospel forward in India more than a person who got on a plane and sat in India for years but not in obedience. You understand what I mean? I don't think I said that that super clearly. Basically, be obedient to what he has called you to do and that obedience will move the kingdom forward. Just doing something because you think it's cool or because it makes you relevant will not move the kingdom forward in Iota. We used to tell this to people in the field. Because when you're in the field, there are times where it's a bit of a struggle. And we would say, you will move the kingdom forward more in your nation with an obedient nap than sharing the gospel 10 times in your own strength. So Lord, and if you could come up, that'd be great. The Lord has issued a challenge to the room. And when I tell you that this was not the message that I had for you, this was not the message that I had for you when I got here. This is the Lord speaking something to you. And when the Lord speaks something to us, we want to be responders. So I'm going to ask that as the band plays that we have different leaders up here at the front. And as the Lord is drawing you into this place of choice, choose this day who you will serve. If you need to do business with him, just you and him, amen. And if you need to have someone pray with you or, encourage you or challenge you, then there are people here at the front who will do that for you. Lord, we come before you right now, Lord, and we say that we want to wholeheartedly walk with you. We want to be enamored with you, Jesus. Lord, I ask for each and every man and woman in this room who calls you Savior, that you would draw them into wholehearted fellowship and wholehearted obedience. Jesus, we surrender the meeting to you. Do as you will.